Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to visit southernhillslv.com to watch or listen to past messages. We hope you enjoy today's message from God's Word. We're in the final sermon of our sermon series today. The final sermon in the, fi- the six-week sermon series that we've been discussing, Jesus Christ. Specifically, we've been talking about his backstory. We call it the Wonder Years, the episodes in the backstory of Jesus Christ. And what the Gospel of Luke is attempting to do is tell us the story of Jesus with a very specific perspective. Now, what Luke does as he opens up his gospel narrative, what Luke, the writer, does as he opens up the story about Jesus is he spends six moments telling us about his origin story before Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to all of Israel and the rest of the world. So we've divided those six moments into episodes, vignettes, uh, ideas that we can focus on where Jesus presents himself as Jesus the baby, and then Jesus the teenager. And if you've been here for the series, you know we studied Christ's crazy cousin, John the Baptist, and then we talked about his lineage and his background, his family. And then we went into this idea that Jesus Christ can go toe-to-toe with the devil himself, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And now we arrive in episode 6 of this six-week sermon series, all discovering the origin story of Jesus in a sermon we call Hometown Reject. And here's why. Because the first thing Jesus does as his popularity begins to expand is go back to his hometown and address his own people. And we're going to see what takes place as we study together. If you're ready to study this passage with me, give me an amen. Amen. Luke chapter number 4 and verse 14 and following. Let us pray. Father in heaven, today we need you in this moment. You've been with us all week long as we've been fighting the battles of life, relationship battles, occupation battles, financial battles. Lord, we've got so many things in our minds and now what we need you to do for us, if you would, is now that we've spent time in worship and in prayer, we come to you and ask you to eliminate the distractions of our lives. Move us to a quiet and holy place. Stand us before you and focus our minds and our hearts and our attention upon you and your word. You have filled this place with your people. Now I pray that you would fill it with your holy presence and you would fill my mouth with your holy words so that we can grow thereby. Oh God, we need you in this moment. Give it to us what we need. Help us to see why it is that sometimes we question you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm a yes guy. I like to say yes. In fact, I err on the side of yes most of the time. Between yes and no, when opportunities come, there's a problem inside of me. I I typically am optimistic and I'm typically ambitious and I'm typically ready to go. I want to say yes before I say no. And most of the time, not most, a lot of the time I should say, it gets me into trouble because sometimes I become overly committed to too many things. And so in my life, I've had to learn to say no so that I don't overcrowd my life with too many things. I'm a yes guy. I I lean toward yes. And it's gotten me into trouble, but I got to tell you, it's actually caused me a lot of pleasure and good in life as well. Um, 
For example, a, a couple years ago, this is probably 10, 11 years ago now, I got an email inviting me to go to, from an organization called Christians United for Israel, to go with them to Israel and travel a Holy Land study tour for free. They were gonna pay me for free. I got the email for, and I was gonna go for free. And at first I was gonna delete the email uh, because you know, I, I got into some trouble with a Nigerian princess one time and I, I didn't wanna repeat that, you know? So I was about to delete it and I'm like, I don't know, maybe this is real, maybe this is a thing. So instead, so I followed up and sure enough, they took me on a Holy Land Israel tour for free, for free, it was incredible. Uh, because I said yes. Another time, uh, I, I got invited uh, by another organization. It was called Answers in Genesis, and it was a um, it was a seven night geological survey study tour of the Grand Canyon, where you got to go on the river rapids for seven nights, seven days, and do a study tour, and also have a lot of fun, have a lot of good food. And to that, I clicked yes, I want to go, and I got to go for free because I leaned into it. yes, I, yes, leaning to the yes. Another time, uh, this is about 15, 16 years ago now, there's a local LASIK surgeon, uh, somebody who does the eyes, and uh, they contacted me, for some reason contacted me out of the blue, and said, would you like to cut a commercial for us and let people know about our LASIK surgery and, and let people know that it goes well? And I'm like, well, does it go well? <laughs> I don't know. Like, you point a laser at people's eye, I don't know that I wanna. And they said, what we'll do is we'll give you LASIK for free, and if you like the product, you know, and this, I had no money, I had no ability to do this, I had really bad eyesight, and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, yes, you know, I said, yes, let's do it. So they stuck a laser in my eye and cut things out, and, and I could see, like, clearly, like, perfect, cl from 24 to 41, now I need glasses, because I'm getting old, you know, and, uh, and, and I did that, and the yes helped in that moment. Now, why is it that we don't normally turn into yes? Why is it that we don't normally side on yes. Here's why. Because we live in a corrupt world. A and we've been taken advantage of so many times. And so because we've been taken advantage of by bad business practices, by bad business deals, by bad relationships, by a woman who said she'd stick around, by a man who said he would stick around, we become very non-trusting. We've even been taken advantage of by spiritual authorities, by religious figures, by even churches. And so when we see that Jesus presents himself and offers himself to us, even when we have the greatest opportunity that's been presented to mankind, and that is the opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ, a lot of us are, are leaning in the no direction. And the reason we lean in the no direction is because how do we know we can trust him? How do we know he's not going to do to us what others have done to us? And so today, I want this concept to be in your mind as we arrive in the town of Nazareth and see that even the hometown of Nazareth rejects Jesus Christ. Here's the big statement for the day, the big proposition for the entirety of the talk, and that is becoming a disciple of Jesus is the greatest opportunity you've ever been given. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is the greatest opportunity you've ever, you've ever received. And some of us in this room, 20 years ago, received that offer, and we've been follower of Jesus ever since. For some of you, it was a year ago. You said, you know what? I want to take that offer. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. You're not perfect, but you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus. 
For some of you, you're gonna be faced with this question for the very first time today. And right now you're thinking through, do I wanna take up Jesus on that offer? And I'm begging you to consider with serious impact whether or not you take this offer. Because I believe that becoming a disciple of Jesus is the greatest opportunity, yet so many reject Jesus. So many reject Jesus. And the question I have is why do they reject him? Why? This passage gives us indication of why people question Jesus, why people reject Jesus. Let's go ahead and look at it. Luke chapter number four, verse 14 through 30, it says, then Jesus returned in power of the spirit to Galilee. For those who are just beginning to study with us, this breaks into the middle of a story, a narrative. So you gotta know what came before it. Jesus had just been baptized in the river Jordan and the spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And then he goes immediately into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan for 40 days. We talked about that over the last two Sundays if you missed it. Now he says he is filled with the spirit of God, has just, been defe- has just defeated Satan himself and now he returns with his great power to a region called Galilee. Now I love Galilee. I love the region. It's still there to this day. It's in the northern part of Israel. Israel's a long country, very small but thin. And at the top of it is a place called Galilee. It's very, it's it's rural. There aren't a lot of big cities there. The big cities are down in the south, like uh, Jerusalem, you see? Up here, there are a lot of little villages. And even during the time of Jesus, there would have been lots and lots of different villages. In fact, one historian named Josephus says there were over three million people living in this area during this time, very crowded, but they were all in little villages, all of them, because there was no cars and Uber back then, all of them only about a mile apart from each other. So it was a very crowded area, but very rural. Most of them farmers and fishermen, backwoods type of folks, back, uh, backwater type of people, rural folk. There are two types of people, city people, rural people. Where, where did you grow up? I'm interested. How many of you, like I, grew up in the city? Like you're a city person. You're a city person. You need a 7-Eleven within walking distance. How many of you like that? Raise your hand. How many of you? All right. A lot of you are. Sure, a lot of you are. How many of you are not? You're a rural person. My wife grew up on a farm, and she had to drive 20 minutes to a gas station where the pizza would deliver to the gas station. How many of you are rural people? How many of you like that? Okay, about half and half. Very good. Okay, so that makes sense. About half and half of us. And so Jesus decides to headquarters his entire ministry in the rural area of Galilee, not the big city. And news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. That is, his fame begins to start. You're about to find out that Jesus becomes the most famous young rabbi of the day. I mean, he is like a rock star, and I mean that in the fame setting. He goes around from village to village, and he's flocked by people. Everybody's coming around Jesus. Everybody wants to see this guy, and his fame begins to start in a very uh, strong way in this rural community. By the way, it was so rural that they even had an accent. Just like in parts of our country, maybe a a specific rural area might have a a strong accent. Some of you come from these areas, you have a strong accent. People say, you have an accent. You look at them and say, no, you have an accent. In fact, we know this. Why? Because when Peter was um, confronted by somebody when he was down in Jerusalem, they said, aren't you a follower of Jesus? He says, how do you know? He said, "Your, your, your speech, it betrays you. You sound like a Galilean. I'm trying to paint what this region was like where Jesus decided to share his message first. And so the Bible says in verse 15, 
And when Jesus taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, Jesus went around, the Bible says, and he, oh, he went around the surrounding region uh, and taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now he finally shows up to his hometown where he was raised. Some of you might say, I thought Jesus came from Bethlehem. It's true, he was born in Bethlehem, a suburb of a giant city like a little tiny suburb of a giant city. And then he moved down to Egypt because he was chased like a, like, a, like, a, um, like a vandal all the way down there. And then he moved back up to Nazareth. Now, when he arrives in Nazareth, this is where he was raised. And now he's finally coming back. Now, it seems to me that most people have a soft spot if they had somewhat of a good childhood with where they were raised. This is the way my dad is. Um, my dad was raised uh, in North Las Vegas. Um, how many from North Las Vegas? Anybody here from North Las Vegas? Some of you drive all the way over. It's a long drive. He was raised in North Las Vegas. I was raised in Spring Valley. Um, so Rainbow and Flamingo area, that was my growing up stomping grounds. And occasionally, my family, when I was growing up, would find ourselves in North Las Vegas, and my dad is driving us around. And, and uh, did your parents ever do this to you? you? You end up in the place where they grew up, and they're like, oh, let's turn over here. You know what I mean? You're sitting in the back, and they're like, hey, look over here. And they, they'd pull off. We'd pull off on Lake Mead Boulevard, and then we'd pull off on Cary Street. My dad grew up on Cary Street. And we'd pull up, he'd be like, look over here, and we'd lock the doors, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I grew up in Spring Valley, that's why, you know? And we'd lock the doors, he'd be like, hey, hey, look, 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 look. He said, you see this alley? And we're like, yeah, it like, looks like an alley, you know? And he's like, man, we used to spend like, every day after school, we'd all like sit there with the guys, you know, and hang out. And we'd drive a little farther, he'd say, see the house, see the house? That house right there, I can't believe it's still here. See the house? See that window right there? I crawled out of that window one time because, and, and we're like, what's the story? And he's like, never mind. And he'll be, you know what I mean? He's, you know that, that feeling you have about the place that you, Jesus had the same feeling. Jesus is now a celebrity going from village to village and now he finally goes back. He probably, maybe putting it off, he finally goes back to his hometown and he walks down the streets and there's the little alley he used to play with his friends. And there's, and there's his, his buddy, he, he, one he grew up with, and he, and he waves at him, and, and, and the guy kind of just. And there's the lady, the lady who used to babysit him, and he thinks to himself, that baby, she used to babysit him. This is his hometown. These are his people. These are his people. You would think they would receive him. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Every village had a synagogue, which was their place of worship. And every Saturday, they would come together and worship. This was the custom of Jesus. Every week, he would go to worship, just like you do. And he stood up to read the Bible. Now, the reason he stood up to read is because he was a traveling rabbi. And the way they set up their services was that the traveling rabbi would have an opportunity to come and read the text for the day. And look what the Bible tells us. It says, as a traveling preacher, he was given the book, and he, handed, he was handed the book uh, from the prophet Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, which is one of the Old Testament prophets. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, imagine how excited Jesus had to be to preach the gospel and to preach 
preach the good news to his hometown. And so he opens up the scroll and he finds the passage in Isaiah and he reads, what is Jesus gonna read? Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord. This is the quote he reads from Isaiah, written 600 years before Jesus was born. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He reads this passage. What's amazing is this passage is a messianic passage, which means it's a prophecy that the Messiah would come. Jesus is the Messiah. It's a very ironic moment. Jesus basically is reading about himself. He says, I'm gonna come, he's gonna come, and he's gonna help the oppressed, and he's gonna help the poor, and he's gonna help the brokenhearted, and he's gonna help the prisoners, he's gonna help the low of society, he's gonna help all those who are low rise up, and that's what Jesus is saying to these people. And the Bible says he's so excited about this, he closes the book, look what it says, look what it says, and then he closed up the book and gave it back to the attendants and sat down. He just reads, it's like a 22 second sermon. Can you imagine a preacher preaching for 22 seconds and sitting down? Say, pastor, I wish, I wish that would happen. (laughs) You'll never have it, it's never, Jesus does not preach here, just one of his disciples, amen? So, he preaches for 22 seconds, he sits down, And then the Bible says all the eyes of the people were fixed upon him. There was a special seat in the synagogue which was way to the left in the corner. So he sits down after reading and he looks at everybody and everybody's just looking at him. He read a passage about the Messiah. It seems like this should be an obvious connecting point to everybody. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a clever reference and nobody got what you were saying? You ever do this? You know, you're like, (laughs) and everybody's like, what? What are you talking about? This is what Jesus is going through right now. He just read about the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He looks at everybody, smiles, and they're like, yeah, we don't get it. So Jesus has to clarify for them. So from his seat, look at what Jesus says. He looks them all in the eye, and the Bible tells us, he closed the, uh, uh, look at verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He looks at them, he's like, it was talking about me. I'm the guy, I'm the guy with... Don't, how, what, I have to write this out for you? I'm the Messiah guy. That's what he says. Now, watch the reaction of the people because this is what you're gonna see. At first they get excited and they like it, but then suddenly they turn and they get angry at him, so angry they're ready to kill Jesus. Watch how it goes down, it's crazy. Now it goes on and it says, and he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to Jesus and marveled at the gracious words which he proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So at first they're like, that's awesome. Did you hear what he said? The mumbles, you could hear it in the crowd. Hey, 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 is he saying what I think he's saying? You know, I've been hearing that he's done all these miracles everywhere. Yeah, over in Capernaum next door, man, he's killing it. Everywhere he goes, people are doing all sorts of miracles. He's doing miracles. This is the guy. If he's the Messiah, he's from our hometown. Our hometown boy's making good, baby. This guy's gonna raise us up. Oh, remember the Messiah. He's gonna not only raise us up to a prominent level, we're gonna take over the world. He's gonna be the king of kings. Lord, This is gonna be great. And then somebody whispers, wait. Isn't he the son of the carpenter? Hold up, hold up, hold up. We know you. I changed your diapers. 
There's no way you're the guy. You're not the guy. Verse 23. So Jesus said unto them, Surely you will say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Have you ever heard that before? Physician, heal yourself. Hey, if that's true, do what you're going to do. And so he goes on and says, uh, whatever you have done in Capernaum, do here also in your country. Jesus looks at him and says, I know what you're thinking. If I'm really the guy, do all the, all the miracles that I did in the other towns, right? You want me to do the miracles? And the whole crowd is now beginning to like turn on itself. Some of them are like, yes, do the miracles. Others are like, I don't think you can do the miracles. And so they want him to prove that he actually is who he says that he is. But Jesus knew their hearts. They look at him and say, you're just the carpenter's boy. Verse 24. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, now things begin to twist. Now we begin to see the spirit of the room shift. Then he said, assuredly, I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Jesus said, I know you weren't gonna receive me. In fact, if you look at all the prophets throughout history, no prophet is accepted among his own people. The prophets were hated people, they really were. You don't wanna be a prophet you're called to be a prophet. Basically, it works like this. If you're called to be a prophet, you're supposed to go talk to God. God's like, yeah, go tell all the people they're messing around, they're doing stupid stuff. I have to go tell them that? Yeah, go tell them all the stuff. They're probably gonna hurt me. No, 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 they're probably gonna kill you. Just go tell them. <laughs> tell them what I told you. The prophet goes out. This happened with all of them. You read it, the whole Old Testament. It's a bunch of guys going out and they're like, okay, I know you're not gonna like this, <laughs> but you all just gotta stop what you're doing now or God's gonna be really upset. And they're like, we hate you. Then they kill the guy. That's what a prophet is. So Jesus says the statement that everybody knows to be true. By the way, after they kill the guy, then their kids and grandkids, they put flowers on the tombs and be like, we would have never killed the prophet. Then they kill their own prophets. <laughs> generation after generation. So Jesus says, I know the drill. Prophet is not without honor except in his own country, verse 25. But I tell you truly that many widows now, Jesus is gonna give two short stories that demonstrate this point. The one is about Elijah, the other is about Elisha. Say Elijah, Elisha, two different people. Elijah, Elisha. Elijah, look at what he says. The first story, I'll, I'll summarize it. You can read along if you want to. Jesus says, there was a guy named Elijah. You remember when Elijah was around? There was a famine in the land. People could not have food. For three and a half years, it stopped raining. And Elijah decided to go and help one person have as much food as they wanted. Who is the one person that he found? A widow woman who was a Gentile who was extremely poor that nobody cared about. Do you remember what Jesus read a moment ago about when the Messiah would come? The Messiah would come to help the oppressed, the poor, the prisoner, would help the low of society, not the elite of society. So he says, hey, you wanna know if I'm a prophet? When Elijah came, he went to some poor widow woman that nobody cared about and helped her alone. Then he gives a second story about Elisha, the Padawan of Elijah. And he says, when Elisha was around, there were a lot of lepers, a lot of people with a leprosy, a lot of them. But who was the one person that Elisha healed? Well, it was a guy who was a soldier for a Gentile army who was an unbeliever who a lot of people would have hated. He went after the despised. He went after those who were ridiculed. He went after the ones that nobody else cared about. 
So Jesus is making a very strong point to a group of people who thought they were better than they really are. See, the people of Nazareth sat there and thought to themselves, wait a second, if you're going to be the king of kings, lord of lords, and you come from our hometown, (laughs) I see what's going on here. And Jesus says, I don't think you do. Because I'm not here to help those who think they're so great. I'm here to help those you think are terrible. This is a primary message of Jesus over and over and over, which is really funny, actually, when you think about the Nazarenes, because outside of Nazareth, everybody hated the Nazar- people from, Nazarene, the, from Nazareth. In fact, one of the disciples, when they first met Jesus, said, from Nazareth, can anything good come from that town? So here's this group of people in this town everybody else despises, and they're all excited because now their hometown boy is going to lead them to prominence, and Jesus is like, that's not what's going on here. I'm actually here to help people that you hate. Doesn't it frustrate you when Jesus does things that you didn't plan on him doing? Well, it frustrated them. Look at what, he do- look what they do. Look what they do. Oh, this is going to blow your mind. It says in verse number 28, so all those in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up to thrust him out of the city. And they led him down to the brow of a hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. They were gonna murder him. They were gonna murder Jesus. And then Jesus, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Jesus kind of disappears and goes. And he's safe. What about this cliff? There's actually, you can visit this with me. Here's a photograph of a, uh, uh, a study tour that I took with our church a couple years ago. Some of you in the room are in this picture. Can anybody, by the way, show me something interesting about this picture? Can you see anything weird about this picture? Notice on the left, there I am on the left. Go ahead, there I am on the left. But also, there I am on the right. <laughs> say, what does it take to be a good pastor? Clone yourself. You have as, twice as much of a minute. There it is. So uh, the reason I show you that is not for the joke, though. I like the joke. Uh, on the other side of this is the cliff of Nazareth. The town below has grown. It's a, it's a larger city now. But the town of Nazareth is right below that. So what's believed is that Jesus would have been taken by all of these people up to this cliff. He was about to be thrown down and murdered and murdered. Why would they murder him? Why is it that some reject Jesus? to the point where they just want him gone. Okay, we're gonna take the remainder of our time, 10 minutes, and I'm gonna share with you three reasons why people reject Jesus. Do you want the three reasons? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, here they are that I believe we see from this passage. At first they loved him, then they wanted to kill him. What happens? Sometimes we begin to question Jesus when, number one, we begin to question Jesus when we don't like what he says. As long as Jesus says exactly what we tell him to say, we're good with Jesus. As long as Jesus says exactly what we expect him to say, then we're fine with him. As long as we can, you know, detract some of the words and blank them out and black them out. We don't want Jesus to say all the things Jesus wants to say. We only want him to be approved by what, and if he does, we'll cancel Jesus, by the way, which is where our society is right now, canceling Jesus. Because we don't like what he says. They probably expected Jesus to get in the synagogue, do a nice little sermon, do a couple magic tricks for everybody. Everybody's very happy. But what he said instead was incredibly offensive. 
Can I just stop right here and say this? If you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you will quickly become offended with something he says to you. Because he doesn't tell you what you want to hear, he tells you what you need to hear. I find this first point that we don't like what he says. Some people get really offended by Jesus because of what he says. I find this mostly with new believers. So like you just come to Jesus six weeks ago or six months ago or a year ago and you're kind of new to this whole Jesus thing. At first, the Jesus thing is like awesome, right? It's like Jesus is nice. He loves everybody. I just love Jesus. I love all the things about Jesus. Everything Jesus ever said is awesome. He makes me feel so good. He'll make you feel good too. Because the whole goal of Jesus is to make us feel good. And I just love Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest. And to you, he's like, he's like a permissive uncle who's just like, I love you. Do whatever you want. And I will always love you. It's going to be great. Things are great. You can always tell when you're talking to a new believer because then they actually read some of the things Jesus said and they're like, oh no, oh no. because Jesus says whatever he wants to say. Like one time Jesus was in a crowd of people that were gonna try to stone a woman for committing adultery. And Jesus put a stop to that, he would not allow that. So he said, whoever has sin, never sinned, you cast the first stone and all the guys like took off. And Jesus is like this awesome, really cool like hero at this moment. And he leans down in the ground and he says to the woman, woman, neither do I condemn you. And he raises her up and it's this really cool moment that everybody's like, awesome, Jesus saved the woman. And then he looks at her and says something incredibly offensive. He looks her in the eye and says, go and stop sinning. See, I find a lot of people in America really like Jesus, the hero, and they hate it when Jesus says, stop it. Stop sinning. What do you mean? I, th- I thought, you, I thought you, you love me. He says, I love you, but I do not like your sin that's hurting you and hurting everybody around you. So for the name of God, stop it. I don't think I like you anymore, Jesus. And some people reject Jesus because of what he says. There's another story where a rich man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, uh, go and sell all of your money and give it to the poor. And then come ask me. And the Bible says he went away sad because he had much goods. (laughs) See, sometimes we just don't like what Jesus has to say. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, hey, you want to follow me? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And that's when we're like, okay, okay, okay. What have I found myself in here? Jesus said, you want to follow me? You can follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me to the hill. They're gonna crucify me and then you probably next. You know, I like the hippie Jesus on a hillside with flowers around his head, not the crown of thorns. New believers sometimes question Jesus when they hear him say something they don't like him to say. So my question to you is this, if you're a new believer, do you want the Jesus that you've created in your own mind or do you want the Jesus that actually existed? So follow him. Don't reject him. Don't push him away from you. Lean into his sayings and you'll find out that his sayings are actually right and they're good for us. Number one. Sometimes we question Jesus because we don't like what he says. Number two, sometimes we question Jesus because we don't like what he does. 
what he does. New believers don't like some of the things Jesus says. Old believers who have been Christians for years, we don't like some of the things he does. See, the people of Nazareth, they wanted Jesus to come and preach a little sermon, and they wanted Jesus to become the Messiah, King of Kings, but they didn't want Jesus to include the Samaritans. They didn't want Jesus to include the poor. They didn't want Jesus to include the prisoners. They didn't want Jesus to include the Roman soldiers. Jesus didn't, don't do that. Don't do that, Jesus. And so then sometimes we want to follow Jesus for a year, two years, three years, and then all of a sudden Jesus does something that we didn't approve. Hey, hey, you need to get that approved by me first. I know you love everybody, but you're going to save them too? You're going to save them? I hate them. And so people stop following Jesus, or they create their own Jesus in their mind that they start following that never existed. Because he does stuff we don't want him to do. I find this so hard when people lose a loved one. Follow Jesus for years, three years, five years, 10 years, and then all of a sudden, Jesus takes your grandma away. I see it all the time. I'll say, hey, where you been? How you doing? Fine, I'm just busy, busy, busy. And the lies come, I'm busy. You're not busy, there's something wrong. And we'll sit down over coffee and you say, honestly, Pastor, I'm angry. I'm angry with God because he took my, my mother. I'm angry with God because he took my, my, my dog. I'm angry with God because God took my child. And you and I begin to question Jesus, not because of what he says, but because he did something that you didn't approve at first. And so then we punish him for a while. We punish him, we put him in his room, we close the doors, we let him know when he tries to talk to our heart, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not okay with you right now. Listen to me, my friend, you, human being, flesh, blood, dirt we are. When the divinity decides to do something, it's because he is good and he knows what is right. But do not fool yourself if you have been a Christian for four, five, six, seven years to think that you will never face a moment where God is gonna do some things that you do not approve of. Oh, it's gonna happen. The question is not whether or not God is good. The question is, are you gonna kill, still follow him even though you don't understand what he's doing? I find that some people in my life too, for me. Sometimes we question God when he says stuff we don't want him to say or he does something we don't want him to do. And thirdly, and we'll be done, sometimes we question Jesus when we think we already know him. We come to find out we actually don't know him, we just knew about him. That's what's going on in Nazareth. In Nazareth, these people grew up around Jesus. The people of Nazareth knew him from his childhood. They already knew him, therefore, he wasn't that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. They kind of grown accustomed to him. Familiarity had bred contempt. The new believer questions what Jesus says. The old believer questions what Jesus does. The unbeliever thinks they know them, know him, but they don't know him. 
See, I'm gonna be as clear as I can. I'm gonna put it right down there on the bottom shelf. Some of you think you're a believer in Jesus, but you're not. Some of you think you're a Christian, but you're not. The reason you're not is because you grew up around Jesus, you know people who knew Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. You don't know him, you've never been born again, you've never been saved. You've never personally repented and received Christ as your savior. You're playing a game and you've even convinced yourself. You're like the guy walking in Nazareth be like, Jesus, yeah, I know Jesus. We used to play kickball together. Yeah, I know Jesus. And Peter's over there be like, I don't think you know Jesus. I find this a lot with uh, kids who grow up in a religious background. I grew up Sunday school, man. I grew up, man, I already know all this stuff. They come into church. They're the most cynical people sitting in church you'll ever meet. Cynical. They're going through all sorts of stuff. You sit down with them to talk with them about the Bible. And you're like, all right, let me show you. What are you going through? Oh, man, I'm going through this, this, this. Oh, let me show you a passage in the Bible. And you show them, and they're like, I already know that one. Let me quote it for you. You know what? Here's another better one. Try to give them an illustration to help them. They'll be like, Pastor, that's a good one. Let me give you another illustration. Their life is so screwed up because they're not actually a follower of Jesus, but they've been around Jesus so much, they become inoculated to truth. You're not a believer. You've never been born again. If you were, you would follow Jesus because followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Some of you, it's just breaking through like an egg cracking. I'm getting through and you're like, wait a second. I think what you're saying is I'm not saved. Exactly. Just because you grew up around him doesn't mean you know him and your soul is at stake. Friend, I don't care how long you've known or how much you've studied or what seminary you were in or what program you went through. You think you already know him and you've never met him. And there's only one solution for you, you religious hypocrite. You need to do what we've all done, repent of your sin and your your hypocrisy and your self-righteousness and receive Jesus as your savior. Am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? So what do we do with all this information, Josh? Okay, three decisions you can make and we gotta get out of here, okay? Three and we're done, are we good with that? All right, here we are, here's what we can do. Number one, if you find yourself questioning Jesus, make a decision, stop pushing him away. Stop it. Say, but he said some things, I get it, maybe you don't understand what he's saying. But he did some things, I get it, but you may not understand what he's doing. I already know all this. I already know all this. No, you know nothing. Stop pushing him away. Number two, number two decision. Don't question his goodness. When he says something that's offensive to your 21st century ear, don't question his goodness. When he does something that you don't agree with, don't question his goodness. Number three, here's third decision. Repent and receive Christ as your savior. Can I tell you the tragedy of this story? The tragedy is that when Jesus leaves Nazareth, he is about to do some things that are going to not only change the future of Israel, it's literally gonna change the future of the world. And there's only one little town in all the region who's gonna be left out. 
The parallel passage in Matthew says that when Jesus left, he did not many miracles there because of their unbelief. You know what my concern is for some of you? The miracles of Jesus are coming and they're going to splash all around you. But some of you are gonna be like Nazareth because of your unbelief. It'll never touch you. This is your moment to change that. Stop questioning, stop pushing them away. Repent and receive them today. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your patience with me, God. You know it took me a very long time to understand these things. God, right now in the presence of my friends, I wanna confess that I have often questioned your goodness. I have often questioned your words. And I'm so sorry for that. I wanna be a follower of yours permanently. Thank you for saving my soul. I pray you would save the souls of some of the men and women who have never been saved in the room today. And for the Christians, new and old, that need to come back to you, I pray they would even in this moment in Jesus' name. With if God has used this message to impact your life, we would love to hear from you. Please send an email to connectdesk at southernhillslv.com. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at southernhillslv.com slash give. We are always encouraged to hear how God is using this church in Las Vegas to reach God's people around the world.